What's up guys? Welcome back. I did pretty good. I wanted to start I wanted to start around 8 and it's 8:09. So I'm 9 minutes behind. That's pretty good. Um what we need most sound doctrine part 2. Uh I'm doing a part 2 for a specific reason, but before we dive in, I'm actually going to start this episode of Christianity proper reading from Titus chapter 1. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Now, that is Paul giving Titus instruction on how to appoint every elder um, there in Titus's area. And he says specifically, any candidate, if you want to use that term, anybody under the consideration of becoming an elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. So what we need most, sound doctrine. Hold on to that in just a second. We'll get there. Remember our new format. I'm going to be here uh, on Facebook Live for about 40 or 45 minutes. Now, last time we were here, which was a little over a week ago now, I ended up keeping you guys on the entire time, but the goal, we're going to stay live for about 40 or 45 minutes. We're also recording the podcast at the same time. So anything that is not on Facebook Live, if you want to hear the rest of the conversation or the rest of the study, uh, go on over to um, your local podcast platform, whatever you use for that, Apple Music, Spotify, um, Podbean. That's actually who we use to host the podcast is Podbean. But just look up Christianity Proper, uh, and you'll see our logo there. Uh, and the tagline is Proper Doctrine, Proper Life. Um, so if there's anything uh, that you wish to hear more of, or if we stop at a particular point and you say, oh, I want to finish that, uh, just go to the podcast. The rest of the conversation will be there. My original plans was to post this over the weekend. I actually made a Facebook post about it and said, part two coming this weekend. We've actually had some really, really good news that happened um, on Thursday. I can't go into details just yet, but um, there will be an episode um, about these family events that have been coming into place uh, really for the last two years. So I'm really excited about that. What I can tell you uh, at this point is simply this. Our family is going to be officially growing by two. So we're really excited about that. And uh, so this weekend was more full than we anticipated. But when I say full, I mean that in a fantastic way. It was a very full weekend. It was really good. Uh, so I am a little bit behind on the intended plans, but that's because God's doing some really awesome stuff in our family life. Uh, another thing, um, we have a website. It's going to be dropping. Dropping. Do you say that about a website? It's going to be launching. It's going to be public. Um tomorrow morning, properministries.com. So that's easy to remember, properministries.com. Really excited about that. Um, briefly, briefly. This website is going to have contributors. Some are pastors, some are elders, some are just lay people, Christians. But there's going to be articles, essays, resources, uh, links to sermons, links to other websites that are solid resources for sound doctrine so that if you 
have a question, if you want to do a study behind something, or if you want to read an article on a particular topic. Now we are just launching, so we're going to continually grow and grow and grow. But the goal behind this website is that if you need to read an article on something, if you need to hear from a pastor on a particular topic, if you want to listen to a sermon series um, that's with a pastor that you know you can trust to preach the word, um, we want to have a hub for all of these resources in one place. So we're, we've got pastors already from Collins, Glenville, Hazelhurst, Baxley, um, Alma, Georgia. So we've already got numerous uh, places uh, with people that are pitching in uh, towards this proper ministries website. Um, so do keep that in mind. That'll be launching um, tomorrow morning, properministries.com. And then Proper Nook. Um, I haven't really been speaking much about this and shame on me. We've actually had some good feedback, um, but we have a Christian library that is at the farmhouse restaurant in Glenville. When you walk into the restaurant, it's on the back. It's on the back side of the, the first room that you walk into the little shopping area. Walk all the way to the back. There's a uh, Christian library there. We have close to a hundred books already. Uh, we've had I think it's six. I think six people have already checked out books. We've actually heard back from a couple of those people and really, really encouraging things. It's free. There's no charge to check out any books or whatever else. We do use an honor system. So if you check out a book, please bring it back. That'd be great. Um, but do keep that in mind, the proper nook. And that's at the Farmhouse Restaurant in Glenville. So now back to Sound Doctrine, what we need most, Sound Doctrine Part 2. Last time. Um, we talked about how Christians need sound doctrine. Sound doctrine drives the way that we live. And if we have poor doctrine, then we're going to be poorly living as a Christian. Uh, if we have a sound doctrine, if we have healthy doctrine, then we're going to have healthy Christian living. We're going to have mature Christian living. We talked about how in the life of a believer, um, within their own family. And then when we go to church, that's typically where the doctrine flows out of most. If there is a Christian family that, that talks about the things of God and hopefully is having family devotions and things of that nature, then the doctrine needs to be sound or that family uh, isn't going to be spiritually healthy. And, then, and that means every individual in that family. And then if the family goes to church and the doctrine from the pulpit isn't healthy, then the worship isn't healthy, that family's doctrine isn't healthy, and, and so it just spills over. But we talked about that in our day today, in our age today, um, in our current situation, that it seems that there is a shortage. And, and with me personally, I honestly think that it's a huge shortage of sound biblical preaching and teaching. So on the last episode, I actually shared a couple of sermons or uh, two sermons and then one, it was just something that for years, Christians have been getting this wrong. And it was the verse about, you know, where there is no vision, the people perish. And so we talked about that, but two sermons in particular, and oddly enough, both of the sermons uh, that I had listened to over the past couple of weeks, they were both from Matthew 13. So we were able to kind of stay in Matthew 13. But I'll be honest, I spent more time dissecting those sermons. I, dissecting is even a strong word. I was really just pointing out that the, the, the men preaching those sermons did not teach the text. Um, they did not um, go through the text and explain this is what Jesus meant when he gave this parable. 
but I spent a lot more time there than really I needed to. And I'll confess that I never really got to um, looking at various scriptures to talk, to point out and to explain and to talk more deeply about why sound doctrine is so necessary. So that's what I want to do tonight on this episode, on this installment of proper ministry. So I read from Titus right there at the beginning. And Paul says in Titus chapter one, uh, verse five, this is why I left you in Crete so that you might put what remained in order and appoint elders in every town as I've directed you. Now that's important. Paul actually tells Titus, he reminds Titus, this is exactly why I left you there. This is your ministry. This is, this is one of the aims of your ministry. You've got to appoint elders. You've got to put things in order. And he goes through the qualifications of a pastor. But for sake of this topic, sound doctrine, I want to hone in on verse nine. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So two things. Somebody who is being considered as an elder, and we don't, in a lot of churches today, we don't use the term elder. So just for sake of ease and, and so hopefully trying to keep everybody on track here, pastor, somebody's being considered for the office of pastor. Sound doctrine is of utmost importance. If you've got a man, it doesn't matter how gifted of a speaker he is. It doesn't matter how talented he is. He, it doesn't matter how, how good of a leader he is. It doesn't matter how much people like him doesn't matter uh, what what type of status he has in the community. If he is unable and if he does not hold fast to the trustworthy word as taught, if he's not faithful in the word, if he can't teach sound doctrine, that's an issue and he's disqualified. He's disqualified from the office of, of pastor or elder. Then you add to that, and this is something that is just, this would, this would need at least one podcast or sermon in and of itself. But we live in a day and age where to, within the church, I'm not, I'm not even talking about out in the world, but within the church, for somebody in the church to stand up and say, hey, um, that preacher the other day, or this preacher I was watching on YouTube, or this Christian guy or person that has a YouTube channel, or that crazy bald guy who's doing the Facebook live and podcast stuff at the same time, they said something about the Bible that's not true. They taught something from the scripture that isn't accurate. The very thought of anybody even standing up and saying, hey, that's wrong. That's false doctrine. The very thought of that even happening, number one, is absent from people's minds, so that's not good. But also, people will actually defend not doing it. No, you can't do that. You can't ever do that. You might hurt somebody. You might confuse people. You, you, might, you might scare people off. If we say that so-and-so is wrong or that's not right or that's not biblical, that looks unloving. That looks, um, that looks a little too harsh or a little too strict. Well, here's the thing. If it's a biblical qualification, if it's a biblical standard, then we need to be obeying it. And if we're not obeying it, then we're in sin. That's the issue. That's a big issue. Um, if somebody, well, let me say this to, to one of those um, to one of those oppositions that I mentioned, 
one thing that, that people will say a lot is, well, we don't, we don't want people to be confused. We don't, we don't want to, and to put it a religious way, we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of somebody. When, when the truth has been neglected, when sound doctrine has been neglected and God brings men and women about who actually start to push for sound doctrine again and turn back to the word, a natural byproduct of that is there's, there's going to be some confusion within the minds of various people because we're so used to hearing falsehoods that now, now that there's truth involved, there is going to be some confusion. And so there's going to be this transition period of, okay, well, I used to think this way, but now I'm coming to the conclusion that this is correct. And so in that sense, confusion is a good thing because we're transitioning from falsehoods and lies to the truth. And that's a natural byproduct. But when we get so scared and say, oh, no, we can't do that. We don't want to confuse people. Ultimately, ultimately, we don't have faith in God. We don't have faith in God that the sheep hear the voice of the shepherd and they follow the shepherd. The true sheep will follow the truth. So we've got nothing to fear. Uh, when we say that's false, Christians shouldn't listen to that. Christians shouldn't follow that. If people get confused or if people get upset and say, oh, I'm never going to agree with that. We say, okay, we pray for those people. And then guess what we do? We continue to put the truth out there because at some point in time, the sheep will follow the shepherd. That's a guarantee from scripture. Jesus isn't going to miss anything that's his. Um, so that was a little bit of a rabbit trail. So let me reel this back in. Sound doctrine. There's going to be objections. There's going to be people who say, that's mean. You can't be that strict. You really take that stand. Oh my goodness. You actually think that's important. If you are somebody that God has given you a conviction that you say, maybe for the first time in my life, I care about sound doctrine. I'm starting to see things in scripture and now I have a conviction that I actually need to apply those things. I need to live those things out. I need to be obedient to that. You're going to get some kickback in your life. There might be some of you listening right now that you're on the flip side of that coin and you're thinking, I don't even like what Caleb's saying right now. This is, this is irritating me a little bit. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you, I get it. That was me for a while, right? It, it is difficult. There is some confusion. There is some, there's some conflict there when you're not used to hearing sound doctrine and then then you realize it's such a biblical thing and it's a biblical mandate, yeah, there's that time of transition. There's that time of kind of unlearning what you thought was the truth and then learning what is the truth. And so that is to be expected. That is normal. And it's actually, when it comes to rebuking those who contradict it, when it comes to calling them out, that's, that's a biblical principle. We're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to warn our fellow believers about false doctrine and about what's wrong and what's and, and, and share with them what is right and what is good and what is healthy, what is sound. So with that thought in mind, we're just tonight we're just gonna look at first, second Timothy and Titus. Now these are three different letters, two of which are written to the same person, and then we have Titus. But Titus was a pastor. We just read from Titus where, where um, Timothy's a pastor. We just read from Titus where Paul actually says, here's why I left you in Crete. Here's the purpose. Here's the reason. But I want to use these three letters so that all of us understand the, the necessity of sound doctrine, but also the blessing of sound doctrine, the promise of sound doctrine, um, the hope 
of sound doctrine. And I also want us to see the dangers of false doctrine and why we ought to be so adamant. We should have a healthy, holy hatred of false doctrine. When we understand that false doctrine is deceptive, it leads people astray, uh, it ruins the souls of its hearers. And, and so I'll just leave it at that because that's the, that's, the, that's the root of why we should hate it. False doctrine um, damages the souls and ultimately for those who follow it fully and wholly, it, it damns the soul of its hearers, of its followers. False doctrine kills. False doctrine leads to death. So that is why we should hate it. That is why we should abhor it. We should despise it because it's, it's damning souls, but it's actually using the name of our holy God to promote falsehood. So it's misrepresenting God. It's bringing reproach to his name. And so if you need any more reason why we should have a holy hatred for something, I don't know what else to give you, right? And here again, Paul says two things. He must be able to hold fast the trustworthy word as taught and to teach sound doctrine and rebuke those who contradict it. But now listen to what he says. We're still in, right now we're still in Titus. I'm just gonna read a few more verses here. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced. Okay. Now there was a particular sect of teachers, those of the circumcision party, Judaizers, um, specific to this area and to this time and that Titus had to deal with. But listen to how Paul describes these teachers. Empty talkers. They're, they talk a lot. They teach a lot. It's empty. There's no truth there. There's no substance. Deceivers. They are deceivers. Then he says they must be silenced. Here's why. When 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 Paul says that there are people out there that must be silenced, we should be we should be interested with why Paul felt so strongly. What was Paul's driving force? Was Paul just well? They preach something different than me, so they need to be silenced because I only want people to hear what I want them to teach. That's another objection. Well, is it? Are you just upset with people who teach differently than you? Is that Paul? Was Paul just upset that people weren't preaching the same thing Paul was preaching? No, ultimately it's an issue of, are we holding fast to the word, to the faith once delivered to all the saints? The true faith, are we holding fast to that or are we making up our own doctrines? Are we teaching things wrongly? Are we saying, hey, the Bible says this and here's what it means. Scripture says this and here's what it means. And what we're teaching people that it means is wrong. That's the issue. So here's what Paul was upset about. Was this Paul being an egomaniac? Let's see. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. Paul's concern here were the families in this region in Crete that their, their faith was being damaged, their lives were being damaged by these teachings. This isn't Paul saying, I just want people to say what I say. I want Paul to preach, or I want other people to preach and teach what Paul preaches and teaches. And people who are saying it differently, they need to be silenced because I'm the only one that's right. 
Paul understood sound doctrine secures our faith. It, 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 uh, it makes our faith more sound, more, um, more rooted, more grounded. False doctrine upsets our faith. Uh, it confuses. It, uh, it causes us to question. It causes us to doubt, right? They must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not teach. I'm going to jump a little bit. Still in, still in Titus chapter one, it says, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. Um, so false doctrine causes people to turn away from the truth. Titus and the instruction that Titus was to give to these other elders was, rebuke them so they may be sound in the truth, so they may be sound in the faith, right? So sound doctrine is that, is that which settles our faith. It, it makes our faith more sound, more healthy. False doctrine is that which upsets our faith and causes us to doubt, causes us to question, causes our, our souls to be troubled. That's what's at stake. The only way for a Christian to be fully at rest in Christ Jesus the only way for the Christian to be truly strong and mature in the faith, for us as believers to be like that tree that's planted by the waters that will not be moved, the only way for that to come about is for us to be rooted and grounded in the word, rooted and grounded in sound doctrine, for us to actually understand what the text means, what scripture is teaching. And this is such an important aspect that again, we're just in Titus. We're going to look at First Timothy, but Paul here is telling Titus, and and by default, Titus is going to tell the other elders, this is what we need to be about: sound doctrine. Teach and preach sound doctrine. Rebuke false doctrine. Now, just for a minute, I want each and every one of us to consider: how many pastors do we know of? Maybe your own pastor, pastors you've had in the past. I am a pastor, so. I'm literally looking at myself in the mirror right now because this is Facebook Live. But I'm saying that because I'm not I'm not excluded from this, okay? I'm not asking y'all to point fingers. I'm just asking y'all to consider and I'm doing it for myself too. How many pastors do we know of that are actively doing both of these things that we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt they are teaching sound doctrine and they rebuke and call out false teachings and false teachers, Just consider it. Think about it. You say, well, why would we ever want to do that? Because false doctrine corrupts faith. False doctrine uh, disrupts faith. False doctrine harms believers and harms their families. And if we're a Christian, then we look out upon other believers and we say, those are my brothers and sisters in the faith. Those are, those are my family members. I don't want them taking something in that's harming their soul. I don't want them taking something in that's disrupting them, that's harming them. We want them to be protected. We want them to be healthy. We want them to be sound, right? So some food for thought there. Now, Titus chapter two, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. And then he goes through older men, younger men, older women, younger women, and then I'm going to go ahead and read this and, and later uh, we're going to come back to this thought because sound doctrine, 
Sound doctrine has a way of putting us in our place and putting God in his place. And, and ultimately, sound doctrine is that which reminds us of who we are and reminds us of who God is. And as a believer, we are nothing, in and of ourselves, we are just sinners. We're, um, we're sinners who do not deserve grace. We do not deserve salvation. We don't deserve any good thing from God. And yet he has redeemed us by nothing more than his grace. He has raised us up to new life in Christ Jesus. And God is the sovereign of all creation. He can do as he pleases. He can do whatever he, he wants with the inhabitants of earth and in heaven. And in his grace, he has chosen to save people for his own possession. And so real quick, I just, I do want to read this from Titus chapter three, verse three. For we ourselves, believers, we believers ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works." Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine always has a way of bringing us back to the fact that we, in and of ourselves, we are nothing more than sinners saved by grace and we exist for the glory of God. So if you don't, if you don't get anything else um, from this, if you're about to turn this off, if you don't have time to finish the podcast or whatever else, remember that. One way that we can know uh, that we've, that we're, we're following the path of sound doctrine. It reminds us that we as believers are nothing more than sinners who deserved death, who deserved judgment. Yet we are the recipients of grace, not because of anything in us, not because of anything we did. We in and of ourselves were sinners who deserve wrath. Yet we are the recipients of grace and we exist as we are now for the glory of God. And in that, when we, when we are mindful of that, when we think with a sober mind, that shapes our entire outlook on life. That drives our decision-making. When we understand we're the recipients of grace, we exist for his glory, that's going to change everything about how we think about life, how we make our decisions, um, how we operate as a family, how we operate in our marriages, how every aspect of life, is going to be permeated with the truth that we deserved the wrath of God, yet we received grace and eternal life. And sound doctrine has a way of constantly coming back to that, constantly bringing us back to that, that were it not for the grace of God and Christ his son, our savior, we would have really nothing to rejoice in because as good of a life as we could have here on this earth, we would still be heading for judgment and the wrath of God. So consider that. And like I said, if you don't get anything else out of this, ponder that, that sound doctrine will always bring us back to that. And it'll remind us who we are and who God is. And sound doctrine will, uh, through the, through 
the Holy Spirit at work in our lives through being in the word and being the, the recipients of sound biblical preaching and teaching and, and through the fellowship, it will permeate every aspect of our life. So let me, let me continue going before I get too held up right there and distract myself. First Timothy, first Timothy chapter one, I'm going to read verses three through seven. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. Now that's twice. He said it in Titus. Now he said it in Timothy. He gives a specific charge to Timothy. You need to charge certain persons not to teach a different doctrine. If you are a pastor, if you are an elder, if you're a leader in the church, it's got to be sound doctrine. And also, if you're a pastor, you say, well, I'm, I feel pretty confident I'm preaching sound doctrine. I do try to do that. We need to also be aware that we do have a calling on our lives also to correct false teaching and correct others who are teaching and sharing false teaching. Nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So Paul, you're saying this is our charge. This is our aim. What's the end goal? We want love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Well, sound doctrine is able to promote and encourage all of those things. Genuine love, brotherly love and affection, Christ-like love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Right? So sound doctrine is directly connected to all of those things. The truth, the true faith is directly connected to all of those things. Certain persons, by swerving from these, what we just mentioned, they have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make. So he said, they desire to be teachers but they don't have understanding either of what they're saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. So there's a few, there's a few other indicators we can take there. False teachers, they might sound confident. <laughs> they might sound very, um, very knowledgeable. They're going to sound like they know what they're talking about. They desire to be teachers in this, in this instance. Again, um, some of these here are specific to the area and the time, like the endless genealogies and stuff like that. And here Paul says, hey, the false teachers that you're dealing with, they're desiring to be teachers of the law, but they don't understand, they don't even understand what they're saying or the things about which they're making confident assertions, right? So this means this, you need to be doing this, you need to be doing that, and they're confident. They don't lack confidence, but they're wrong. They're unlearned. They don't have wisdom. They don't have an understanding of the truth. You got to have some coffee. So just a few verses there from 1 Timothy 1. And again, just note, if you want some quick things to take away from this, Timothy was also told, correct the false doctrine uh, and, and correct the false teachers. He, he was actually told, you, you need to charge persons, certain persons don't teach anything other than sound doctrine. The aim, so for the Christian, um, you say every Christian ought to have a genuine love that issues from a, a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Sound doctrine is connected with these things. When people swerve from that, 
When people want something more than that or when people want something different than that, what is it? Certain persons by swerving from this have wandered into vain discussion, emptiness. It doesn't lead anywhere, right? So 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 Timothy 3. Um, in my notes, I have verses one through four. I'm just gonna read this entire section. So down through seven, because this is the qualifications of a pastor. So this will be good for us to look at. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone desires the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectful, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Now hold on to that one. Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Now, with that being said, that's the qualification of the pastor. Those qualifications haven't changed. So one way that we can fall into false doctrine and false teaching is if we ignore the qualifications for a pastor. Listen, if you've got somebody that at the current time of their pastoring and their teaching, they don't meet these qualifications, you can rest assured they don't put a whole lot of stock into the authority of scripture. Because if they did, they'd be removed from the pulpit or they would actually remove themselves from the pulpit and they would say, hey, um, currently, I'm not I'm not meeting these criteria. I don't need to, to, to do this. Furthermore, one of the biggest things in the world today is um, the, the office of pastor is, is for males, for men. That's nothing against women. That's not a, that's not a knock against women. God is a God of order and God has ordained that just like in marriage, the husband has his roles and the wife has her roles. And that's not that men are better than women or women are better than men. They're different. They have their roles and God is most honored when they serve in those roles to the fullest capacity and when they don't try to exchange those things, the office of pastor is for a man. A surefire sign that you can that you can rest assured you're getting false doctrine in the mix is if we ignore these qualifications for a pastor. Because again, you can be very confident that if you're listening to somebody who doesn't fit these qualifications, then that probably means that they themselves don't have a high view of scripture that they're not trying to submit to scripture themselves. And if they're not submitting to scripture, they're probably not taking that into consideration when they're preaching. They're just coming up with their own teachings and coming up with whatever they want to say or coming up with what sounds good. Because if they were submitted to the scriptures, there would be a change in the pulpit. Um, but I digress. I ask you to keep those three words in mind, able to teach. Well, what is the pastor? What is an elder? What's an overseer called to teach? The word. Well, what else? Okay, the scriptures. Well, what else? Okay, uh, the Bible. It's the word. That's that's what we're called to teach. That's what a pastor is called to teach, an elder, an overseer. Able to teach. If you were to look at the qualifications for a deacon, really the only thing you're going to see there that differs is a deacon isn't meant to be, it doesn't say specifically that a deacon is to be able to teach or apt to teach. That's a qualification for an elder, for an overseer. 
That's important. This, again, emphasizes the fact that within our pulpits, think whatever church you attend, if you're not a churchgoer, know this, that when you go to church, um, the, the, the man, what we hope is a man, standing behind the pulpit has a direct calling on his life to preach the word and to be able to teach. So to preach the word, to teach the word, to proclaim, to be a herald of truth. That's a specific calling that he has on his life. Therefore, if the man is teaching falsely or if he's teaching his own man-made doctrine or if he's teaching a doctrine that's just uh, it's unique to his denomination, and he's just supporting the denomination, so he's preaching denominational doctrines, um, he's going to have to answer to God for that one day. That's a weighty thing. That's a, that's a heavy thing. That's a sobering truth to remind ourselves of. And if you're not a pastor, again, each and every time you go into the church house, each and every time you go to a worship service, you should be looking at that man behind the pulpit, and, and you should be somewhat cognizant of the fact that you say, wow, the things that he is teaching, the things that he's preaching, he's got an answer to God for this one day and he is called to be able to teach the word. And I want to be confident that I'm listening to somebody who takes it very seriously, that he is held responsible for accurately, accurately teaching and preaching the word of God. You as a, as a church goer, as a church member, I would, I would hope and pray that you do have that, that desire. You say, I want to have confidence. I don't want anything to be a gray area. I don't want to be, I don't want to have to wonder about it. I want to know that the man that I call pastor, the one who stands in the pulpit, I want to know that he takes it of utmost uh, seriousness, that he is to be able to accurately teach the word, that he is called to preach the word, that he is to aim for sound doctrine and he's not supposed to tolerate anything that doesn't fall under the criteria of sound doctrine. Let's move on. <laughs> Verse eight. So First Timothy, um, uh, sorry, First Timothy chapter three, verse 14. First uh, Timothy chapter three, verse 14. I hope to come to you soon. This is Paul speaking. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Consider that. Um, earlier, I asked you guys to consider that your current pastor, or just pastors you can think of, how many pastors can you think of that are currently preaching and teaching sound doctrine and also actively rebuking and calling out false teaching? Consider this, the churches that you've attended in your life, the church that you're at now, um, how much confidence can we put and how much, with how much confidence can we say the church I attend, the church that I'm a part of is seeking to be. We might not be there yet. You might be at a church where there are some changes taking place and there's a transition where you're becoming a more biblical church and praise God for that. But the aim, the goal, how many of us, can say that we are at a church that we know the aim of our church, the goal of our church, we want to be a pillar and buttress of truth. We want to be an unshakable force for truth, the truth of God, the truth of his glory, the truth of creation, uh, the, the truth that all things exist for his glory, the truth of salvation, the true gospel, sound doctrine. 
the church, I wrote this letter, or I wrote this to you, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, the church, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Churches are not called, church structures, gathering places, congregations are not called to be attractive, to try to get as many people to show up as they can. Those things aren't our calling. We're called to honor God, glorify God. We're called to be a pillar of truth. That's something we're actually called to do. We're not called to come up with strategies and and win some events so that we can get more people there, so that we can bolster our attendance numbers. We're not even really called just to see how many people we can get baptized or stuff like that. When somebody is truly saved, of course, we rejoice in that. We celebrate in that. That's a miracle. Every time a sinner is saved, it's another miracle that we've witnessed. Here's what the church is called to do and to be, to be a pillar and buttress of truth, to proclaim sound doctrine, to teach sound doctrine. That's something the church is actually called to do, straight up called to do. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6 I'm going to read verses three through five. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, there's a lot there. Let me try to unpack that briefly. We start with, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and his teaching that accords with godliness, that person, that false teacher, here, Paul here is saying, here's the real issue with that individual. Uh, if someone refuses to stop with their false teaching, if someone refuses to submit to the sound teaching of Jesus Christ, here's the real issue with that person. He's puffed up with conceit, so he's proud, and he understands nothing. Now, those, those are harsh words. And, and what we've got to understand here... Paul is speaking of people that would claim to be teachers or leaders. And Paul is saying, puffed up with conceit, understands nothing. Understands nothing. That's hard for us to comprehend at times because we're like, well, if somebody's a teacher, they've got to have a firm grasp on something. They've got to understand some things. And so Paul here, I don't think Paul here is saying that they literally, they couldn't, They couldn't explain any verse in the Bible to you or whatever else. They understand nothing because if they have not yet fully submitted to the authority of God and and submitted to the fact that Jesus is Lord, if they haven't submitted to his authority, then, then they don't, ultimately, they don't really understand how any of the doctrine, um, applies they don't understand how it applies to the extent that it glorifies Jesus Christ, that it, that it gives him preeminency in all things. They don't understand how the doctrine promotes the fact that we cannot earn our way to heaven, that, that salvation is not through the law or through our work. Salvation is by grace alone, through, through faith in Christ alone. They don't ultimately understand any of that. But you see, there's this really 
powerful verse in scripture that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge. So anyone, anyone who has not submitted to the authority of Christ and his teaching, anyone who does not teach the faith the way that Christ himself taught it and doesn't submit to that headship, they don't fear the Lord. Well, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom or the beginning of knowledge, then if somebody doesn't fear God, if somebody doesn't fear the Lord, they haven't even begun to know anything. Puffed up with conceit and they understand nothing. Any type of wisdom they have, they seem to have as a false wisdom. It's all a facade. They don't understand anything. Um, he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among the people. And Titus, Paul, word, it, he, he's upsetting even families, right? So when false teaching comes in, false teaching corrupts, false teaching divides, and if people are listening to this, it is gonna cause, this really causes confusion and causes people not to know what's really going on. And here's what ends up happening. There's friction, there's dissension, there's envy, there's bitterness, there's strife. The people of God who are meant to be united, who are meant to be one, who are meant to be um, kept in the, in, the, in the bond and the spirit of peace, get disrupted, get divided, get thrown off. It's because of these false teachers who are puffed up. They don't understand anything. Then people start to listen to it. And what's the end result? Strife, envy, dissension, arguing. Think about most people shouldn't say most, just to be fair, just to be gracious. Think about some, a lot of what we hear from church congregations, but just church people in general these days. Any churches that we grew up in, that we're involved in, that we've ever been involved in in the past, can was there envy? Was there dissension? Was there strife? Was there struggle? At the end of the day, those things point to false doctrine, to, to things that are being believed that are false. It points to the fact that there, there's false doctrine being followed. It might be currently being preached. It might've been preached or taught in the past, but God's people, and, and here's the thing, sound doctrine, let's say, because people are people, even Christians, we, we still struggle with sin, the spirit and the flesh are at war. So let's say we, we, we're a part of a church where there, there is some dissension. Let's say two families in the church they're at each other's throats. They're upset about something. And um, they're really struggling with it. Sound doctrine leads to proper biblical resolutions for that issue. And, and sound doctrine, if, if those two families fear the Lord and have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and they want, they, God has given them a sincere desire to... To, to please him and to honor him, and they're working out their own salvation, then sound doctrine will not just lead to a resolution, but it'll lead to a resolution where those two families not only reconcile, but their love for one another, their relationship with one another is stronger than it was previously. And the end result of those two families being at one another's throat is that the entire church congregation is actually strengthened because they went through that trial. They went through that tribulation together. They saw the goodness and the, and the graciousness of God to reconcile those two families and they rejoice all the more. 
You say, well, well how do, what does sound doctrine have to do with that? Well, Scripture teaches us how to resolve issues. If, if we've got alt with our brother or we got something against our brother, if he's got something against us, we go to that brother. There's church discipline that, that needs to be acted upon in certain cases, but there's, there's biblical guidelines. There's doctrine. There's healthy teaching about how to handle resolution. There's healthy teaching about how to handle conflict, right? False doctrine promotes these things, and false doctrine doesn't have any answers when this stuff comes up. False doctrine doesn't lead to peace and unity. False doctrine doesn't lead to rest. Only sound doctrine does. So when these things abound and there's no resolution for them, and here's what I'm driving at, when there's no resolutions for them, i.e. church splits, when there's no resolution, when there's no peace, when there's no forgiveness, and people just, well, we'll just go start our own church or we'll start going to church over here. I'm out. I, I can never worship in the same place as that person. You can rest assured False doctrine is the culprit somewhere along the line there. And there is a lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding on sound doctrine. You can guarantee it. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 20 and 21. This is how the letter ends. Oh, sorry. There was one more big thing there. I'm glad I caught this. Imagining. This is, this is huge. Imagining that godliness is a means of gain. That is a surefire sign of false doctrine and of false teachers. Now, now the reason I'm smiling, those of you that are just listening on the podcast, you can't see me, but on Facebook, the reason I'm smiling isn't because this is good and I'm happy about this. I'm smiling because it is almost, it's tragic but you know how sometimes something is so, like it's so tragic or it's so heartbreaking that you almost have to laugh to keep from crying? Like that's, it is so obvious that false doctrine is what is prominent, what is most popular in our world today. Because much of what you will hear is that godliness is a means of gain, worldly gain. Now, not even necessarily the preachers who are saying, oh, godliness means you're going to be filthy rich. But just the whole idea of, Godliness means you're going to have a comfortable life. So like godliness means that things at your job are going to go well. Godliness means that your marriage is going to be problem free. Godliness means that you're going to get that promotion you want them. Godliness means that people are going to like you. Godliness means that all of the problems in your life are going to go away because God wants you to just be blessed. So godliness is a means of gain. Okay. So again, that doesn't just necessarily mean like, you're going to be filthy rich, but gain in the sense that godliness leads to a comfortable life, an easy life here on this earth. Now, do me a favor. Think about some of the most popular or prominent preachers and preaching and teaching that you hear today. If you were to just go to YouTube and pull up a Stephen Furtick sermon or Joel Osteen, if you're of an older generation. And, and those are two extreme examples. But think about local preachers, local teachers. Think about what they're actually saying, what they're actually preaching. And if, if they're preaching as a message of, whenever you're walking with God, you'll know it because everything in your life is gonna go well. When you're really walking with God, when you really have the blessing of God, you're going to have the life that you always wanted. Your relationship problems will be fixed. Your financial problems will be fixed. Your, your career goals 
will be met because God's gonna help you meet them. If those are the things that you're hearing and you're preaching and teaching, you can guarantee you've got a false teacher on your hand. Imagining, which means that it's not true, but they are imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Now, let's look at the flip side of that corner, the opposite. Godliness is a means of great gain. Spiritually, we went from death to life. We were transferred from darkness to light. We were blinded and couldn't see the truth. And now we have eyes that see the truth. We had hearts of stone. Now we have a heart of flesh. Um, you know, the main thing being that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We're raised to new life in Jesus. Now that's great gain. That's eternal gain. That's spiritual gain. What Paul here is saying is the false teachers think that godliness is a means of gain, earthly gain, material gain. That is a surefire, dead giveaway, false teacher, false teaching. Think about what is most prominent in our American Christian culture today. So then he closes out the letter, verses 20 and 21. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge, for by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. These false teachers, these false teachings, they in this time, they do, it was knowledge. It, it, it's, it's a Gnostic, like a mystical type knowledge, but it was knowledge so-called. Oh, we have the knowledge. We have the truth. And it was the false teaching. It was the stuff that was leading people astray. So again, it doesn't matter how wise, it doesn't matter how much sense something seems to make. If it contradicts the scripture, if it contradicts the proper interpretation, and that's gonna be the second part of this episode is how do we know? How do we know if it's actually contradicting the scripture? How do we know if it's actually something that's a little bit off, if it's a little bit skewed? How do we actually know those things? That's gonna be the second half of the episode. Right now, I just wanna use these three books of the Bible to talk about why it is so important. Sound doctrine settles the faith. False doctrine disrupts the faith. Sound doctrine leads us to hope and to life and, and, and unity and peace. Uh, swerving from the faith. False doctrine leads to swerving of the faith. Um, you know, we live in a day and age where there's a lot of deconstruction. I'm, I'm deconstructing from my faith. And we, we, we hear a lot of that stuff and we talk a lot. And, and ultimately, my question to any of that is, did you ever really understand the faith? Was your faith ever really constructed at all? Or are you just deconstructing from the fact that you had a lot of false doctrine in your life, you realized that that was false, you realized that 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 doesn't lead anywhere and you just got frustrated so now you're deconstructing, right? But the bottom line is this, false doctrine doesn't offer any hope, false doctrine doesn't offer any uh, truth, false doctrine doesn't offer any peace, any confidence, F false doctrine doesn't offer any real answers to the problems of life. False doctrine is empty, it is deceitful and it leads away from Christ. It leads away from the faith, right? I had a, a couple of things in 2 Timothy uh, that I wanted to bring up, but I'm, I'm, or no, I had a few things. I'm gonna narrow it down to a couple of things, namely um, what you will hear me say a lot on this podcast. 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul again talking about false teaching and, and false doctrine to Timothy and he comes to verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, 
and sufferings that happened to me. And then he gives a list of places where he suffered for the Lord. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's interesting. I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole, but keep that in mind. All who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I think I did this on the last episode. It was like, what do you need to be a full Christian? What do you need to be the strongest Christian you could possibly be? Sound doctrine, the word. What else do you need? Nothing, the word. You say, well, I need to go to a good church. I need to hear solid preaching. I need to have good teaching. You'll get that from the word and the word compels you to be a part of a local body where you do have a faithful pastor who is shepherding the flock faithfully. And so all of that is part and parcel of the whole deal. Go to the word and be obedient to the word. That's it. In chapter four, he says, I charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, the time is coming when they, when they will not endure sound teaching or sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. Now, some people still like to think, oh, that's coming. Paul was talking about that was coming way later. I think this problem has been the issue since forever. Keep in mind, he's writing to Timothy, who is a pastor, and he's already telling him, false teachers everywhere, call them out, correct them, teach the sound doctrine. But sound doctrine, which comes through the God-inspired, the God-breathed word of God, is able to make one fully equipped for every good work. False doctrine destroys. False doctrine leads us away from the truth. But that charge that Paul gave Timothy, again, is of utmost importance, and I'm putting the spotlight on pastors, which means I'm putting the spotlight on myself. Pastors are called to preach the word. We're not called to give life advice. We're not called to give motivational speeches or anything like that. We're called to preach the word. Where the word of God is not being preached from the pulpits, that church is not going to be healthy. Where that church is not healthy, those Christian families are not going to be healthy. Where those Christian families are not healthy, the individuals in those families aren't going to be healthy. So you see how false doctrine corrupts and rots away the faith. And it ultimately could lead people away from the faith to the point that they, um, Second Peter, he's got a great way that he puts it. People can get so dull and, and, and their, their vision can get so poor, they can forget that they've actually already been forgiven of, of their sin. Like that's, that's rough. This is important stuff. Sound doctrine directly relates to the health, spiritual health of a Christian. It also is directly related to if we're actually worshiping and glorifying God as he is to be worshiped and glorified. If we are honoring him, and, and, and serving him as our father and 
honoring and serving Christ as Lord, as our Savior. If we're in, in, indulging in false doctrine and following these false teachers, we are not rightly worshiping and rightly honoring God. So from 1st, 2nd Timothy and Titus, I hope we've seen the importance of why sound doctrine is important and that it, that it is directly related to our spiritual health, that sound doctrine settles our faith, strengthens our faith, and false doctrine destroys the faith. Um, and, and Paul himself actually told both of these two men, preach the word, preach sound doctrine, teach sound doctrine, because false teachings, false teachers, they're upsetting the faith of some. It destroys, it corrupts, preach the word, and actually rebuke the false teachers. We actually have this from scripture, from the word. If, if Paul thought that it was of utmost importance, then we ought to as well. Last thing I'll say for the sake of Facebook Live, Jesus himself prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth, John 17. Your word is truth. Where do we grow? Where are we sanctified as believers? By being saturated in the word. Sound doctrine is important. This is what we need most. I'm gonna wrap up the podcast. I do have a part two. Uh, it's probably not gonna be an hour long like the first half was. I'm looking to keep these. I'm, I'm not gonna to try to keep my podcast super, super short, but around the hour 15, hour and 30 minute mark, I've just got a couple of things I wanna go through. How do we know that we do have sound doctrine? That's gonna be the second part. If you want to hear that, uh, Christianity proper, look it up on any of your podcast platforms, but thank you guys for watching on Facebook Live. If this was beneficial to you at all, if you enjoyed it, or if you hated it and you want, you still want to show it to your buddies, share it and talk about the crazy bald guy. Um, but thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, I'll catch y'all next time, and I'm going to wrap up this podcast. All right, guys, I just logged off of Facebook Live. Just need to um, get this second part together and we will wrap up the podcast here. So we went through first, second Timothy and Titus, not through the entire books, of course, but we read from there. I want to close out this podcast with, um, kind of shifting gears a little bit. What are some things that we can remind ourselves of that will help us be confident that what we're listening to, what we're reading, um, pastors that we're following behind, YouTube channels that we follow, uh, that they actually have sound doctrine. Uh, so I want to attempt to share a few thoughts that I wrote down the other day that I do think will be very beneficial and will help us to have a greater confidence that we are pursuing and we are growing in sound doctrine. So I'll just, I'll jump right in. First and foremost, Sound doctrine is that which is consistent from Genesis to Revelation without contradiction or negation. So simply put, sound doctrine is going to lead you to be able to read the scripture in such a way where you don't have any contradiction, where you, you're not confused um, about one passage of scripture because in your mind you're thinking, well, if this, if this passage means this, uh, let's say in Luke, this passage in Luke, if it means this, then what I read in Romans doesn't make any sense anymore because now these two passages of scripture seem like they contradict one another. So a really popular example um, is in Romans 4, Paul says that Abraham was justified by faith. In the book of James, an argument is made that um, faith without works is dead. We're not justified just by faith, we have to have works 
It's faith and works. Now, so when you read those at first glance, you would think, oh, wow, the Bible contradicts itself. This is not good. How can we solve this? Uh, and I'm turning to James right now. Because at face value, on the surface, there does seem to be a bit um, a bit of a contradiction there. Because in the book of James, it actually says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? Well, that's, that's huge. This is serious already. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one says to them, go in peace, be warmed and be filled, without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is it? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble or shudder. Do you want to be shown, O foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and uh, and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. So people have tried to take that and say, oh, well, that's contradictory. James says that you're justified by faith and works. Paul says you're justified by faith. So Paul and James actually almost preached a different gospel. And see, that that's the foolishness of thinking that that there's contradictions in scripture. Sound doctrine helps us to see and have a, a fuller understanding. And we see here in the book of James, it would seem James is making an argument that our faith is not justified before men unless there's actions involved, unless there's proof involved. But when it comes to how is a sinner made right before God, how is a sinner justified before God? How is a sinful man uh, considered righteous before God, it's faith alone. We are justified through faith. And so there, there is no contradiction here. The Paul in the book of Romans is simply talking about Abraham, it, it was counted as righteous. Abraham was justified by faith. And, and that's the gospel truth. In the book of James, he's literally given an example of if someone says, show me your faith or I'll show you my faith. If somebody sets up this, um, if somebody knows of somebody in need and we say, well, go in peace and be well. And we don't do anything for them. And we know for a fact they were hungry and they needed clothes. And we just tell them, well, go in, go, go away, go in peace and be well. And we don't do anything for them. That That's a problem. And that's the example that James uses here. Those that truly have faith, they do something. And then he uses Abraham. Abraham didn't just say he had faith in God. We know that that faith was living faith. We know that that faith was active faith because he got up and he went from his homeland. And ultimately, he even was going to offer up his own son, Isaac, until thankfully, there was, a, there was another, there was a substitute in, in place of Isaac which points to Jesus Christ, which points to the gospel. So there's no real contradiction at all between these two texts because we're talking about being justified before God in one and in the other one, it brings man into it and 
we're, our faith is justified before men. When we, when we live out that faith, when we put that faith into action, we know that, oh, living faith has works. Living faith has works. Dead faith, a faith that's not even real, a faith that's not genuine, doesn't have any works. So there's no real contradiction. So sound doctrine is that which is consistent from Genesis to Revelation without contradiction or negation. I wrote down a couple other examples real quick. Prayer is another big one. You'll hear, you'll hear some people, especially those of um, the charismatic or the Pentecostal persuasion, um, that they'll always say, you know, Jesus said, ask whatever you will and it will be done for you. Uh, where two or three are gathered in my name and, and they'll, they'll use these different passages. Well, they're not even passages. They'll use these different verses and sometimes just a part of a verse to say that when you ask for things, if you have enough faith, you will, you, you will receive whatever you ask for. Okay. Well, that, if we actually believe that, then when we get to passages of scripture where we're told anything you ask according to God's will or according to his will, when we get to passages where Jesus himself in the garden of Gethsemane, where he actually says, nevertheless, your will be done. When we get to passages like, I'll use the book of James again. There's a verse there that says, you ask and you don't receive because you ask amiss to consume it upon your own lust there's going to seem to be a contradiction there because we're, we we might be thinking to ourselves, well, now the preacher said, or the church I grew up in, everybody always said, whatever you ask for, you'll get it. You just got to have enough faith because Jesus said, you know, ask whatever you will uh, and it'll be done for you. And so now I'm confused. It would seem that there's con- either he's going to do everything we ask of him or we're supposed to pray God's will be done. We're supposed to submit to his will. And that's the, Hopefully you've connected those dots already. That's the sound path to travel with that one is that, of course, scripture is clear. Yes, we, we are meant to pray and we are, we are, we are called to pray great and mighty things and we can, uh, and, and we can pray for, for things as believers, but we also understand that God is sovereign. God's will is always going to be done. And the, the teaching that, that we can ask for things and we'll, we'll receive that is not some kind of loose, random teaching that isn't connected to the rest of Scripture that teaches us to pray for God's will to be done, to literally pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The, 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 the teaching and the encouragement to, um, to, to pray for things and it will be given to you is not detached from the rest of Scripture. And it's also not an encouragement to literally start praying for things that have nothing to do with God and His glory. It's not an encouragement to pray for things that you can just, that will make your life better and that will make you happier in an earthly sense. That's literally, you know, again, you read, you read from the book of James and it says you're asking for things, but you don't receive them because here's the reason why you're asking to consume them upon your own lust. So there's an issue there. So in some cases, there might seem to be a contradiction if we're thinking that, oh, well, Jesus says, ask whatever you want, he'll give it to you. And then we come across these passages that say, your will be done, not mine. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We also have an example of Paul praying specifically that the thorn be removed from his side three different times. He prayed that and God said, my grace is sufficient for you. So there is no contradiction. There might seem to be to some others, 
But sound doctrine is that which encourages us and helps us see there's no contradiction here. There's actually harmony. There's actually unity. There's actually consistency. When a believer has a sincere desire to see God's will be done, and when a believer understands that we exist for his glory and we should only be asking for the things that we know he would want us to have anyway, then the teaching and the encouragement to ask whatever you will or, or, or ask what you will and it'll be given to you, then that makes all the more sense. It actually helps us have a deeper and a true understanding of what verses such as that teach. Suffering is another one. Uh, there's a, there's some popular ideas or teachings that, you know, if, if you're suffering, I guess you go one of two ways with this. If you're suffering then you've done something wrong and God's trying to get your attention. Or if you're, su- if you're suffering, maybe you just don't have enough faith because God doesn't actually want you to suffer. God does not want you to hurt. God doesn't want you to go through hard times. Uh, well, the issue with that is let's just say you grew up in a teaching with a teaching like that. Um, and you begin to study the scriptures and, and you, you, you see passages in scripture like in Philippians when, when Paul says it's been given to you not only to believe, but to suffer, to suffer for Christ's sake. And you look in Romans 5 where Paul says that we as believers were, were able to rejoice not only in hope, but able to rejoice in suffering. Hmm. Okay. Second Corinthians, where he says, you know, we suffer and we go through these things so that when others are suffering, we can give them encouragement. And that's one of the reasons we go through things. And we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And again, from the book of James, I guess I'm, I might as well just should have, I should have just read the whole book of James right now. Um, but James says to count all joy when you go through trials and tribulations, various trials and tribulations. And so if you have this understanding of scripture that says, oh, God doesn't want you to suffer, or if you are suffering, you're doing something wrong, which just at, just ask Job about that and he'll, he'll fix your thinking on that one. You're, you're going to come to the place where you think, okay, well, the Bible must contradict itself. There must be some issues here, but really there's not because sound doctrine helps us understand that the Christian life is a life of suffering. There's going to be lots of trials and tribulations. There's going to be lots of suffering in the life of the believer. And being a Christian isn't about not suffering. Being a Christian is about having your hope and your confidence and your rest, your contentment anchored in Christ so that when you go through that suffering, you're not shaken, you're not moved, you're you're able to still rejoice and give thanks in all circumstances because you know Christ and Christ is your rock and your redeemer. Sound doctrine, as I was saying earlier, sound doctrine settles our faith. Sound doctrine also kind of settles our Bible study to the extent that anytime we, we see a passage of scripture, we think, oh, that seems to be contradictory or that now we have an understanding. Well, if there seems to be a contradiction, the problem is with me and my understanding, not with the text. Um, but let me let me move on here. So sound doctrine is that which is consistent from Genesis to Revelation without contradiction or negation. If you have a if you have a theology or if you if you're a part of a denomination that 
it forces you, it compels you to read the Bible in such a way where you're just like, yeah, we really don't know what to do with this. We really don't know what to do with that. And we understand that this kind of contradicts what this says, but you know, we kind of, we just have to kind of overlook that to an extent or whatever. If, if you have a theology that is not consistent from Genesis to Revelation, I would encourage you reconsider your theology, reconsider your doctrine. Secondly, sound doctrine is that which makes much of Christ and grants clarity of one of the great mysteries that was revealed from scripture, namely the father's will to unite all things in Christ, giving him preeminence in all things. So that one is, that one's a long one. That's the longest one that I'm going to say. Let me repeat it. Sound doctrine is that which makes much of Christ and grants clarity to one of the greatest, one of the great mysteries revealed in scripture, namely the father's will to unite all things in Christ, giving him preeminence in all things. So if you'll allow me to read from uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter one real quick. Paul actually um, mentions this specifically. Ephesians 1 verse 7, in him, which is Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. We look at Colossians chapter one. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn among all creation. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent for in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things. So to unify uh, to unite all things in him, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That's one of the great mysteries. Uh, I guess you could say in a lot of way, that's the greatest mystery that is revealed in scripture, that the father's plan from the beginning of time, from even before the foundation of the world, the will of the father was to give Christ the preeminence, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So sound doctrine is that which helps us comprehend that more fully. To comprehend that everything about scripture, everything about our existence, everything about church history from the founding of the church, everything about the lives of the apostles uh, from all of the early church fathers that we have, everything about everything that's going on right now in church history it is all part of the Father's will to ultimately give Christ preeminence in all things and to unite all things in him. Our entire existence is about his preeminence. All things are for him. For him, through him, to him are all things. And sound doctrine helps us understand that with greater clarity. 
Sound doctrine makes much of Christ, makes much of Christ, and it humbles man. So sound doctrine will um, will exalt Christ. It will make much of Christ, and it will humble man. That's another one that you can, uh, that, and that is one that I had written down just in the reverse order. Sound doctrine is that which humbles man and makes much of Christ. Um, and, and for that, I wrote down you know Philippians 2, 2 Timothy 1, um, but Acts chapter 5, at the end of Acts chapter 5, there's the apostles were were brought in, they were questioned, they were charged, and, and then they were beaten. And it says that they says that they they walked away rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name. And that's just a you say, oh well, Caleb, you said sound doctrine humbles man, not sound doctrine will make people beat you up. Well, sound doctrine might make people be, beat you up. That happened a lot, that happened a lot in scripture. But the the way that we know that those men were humbled was that they they rejoiced at being counted worthy to suffer for his name. It didn't bother them to have to suffer because they understood my life isn't about me. My life is about the glory of God. My life is about exalting Christ and making much of his name. The world can do whatever they want to do to me and that's okay because my life is not about my comfort. My life is not about my glory. And so we know based upon their reaction that they were men who had been humbled through the gospel and through salvation and they were men who were committed to the goal of making much of Christ and, and exalting Christ. And sound doctrine, the way that we study the scriptures, one way that we can know we're, we have a sound grasp on things is if our doctrines that, that, we, that we think on and that we understand and that we grasp, if they, if they help us in our own lives make much of Christ, and if in our own lives it only humbles us and gives us a greater clarity that we are just the recipients of grace. We are nobodies. We are sinners. We are wretches. Apart from Christ, we are nothing. But by grace, by the grace of the Father, we are in Christ. And in Christ, we are beloved. We are the children of God. We are the recipients of every, uh, of, of every blessing in heavenly places. And we've been given those things only only in Christ. So one way to know that we do have sound doctrine and we're following in, in some good paths is if our sound doctrine helps to humble us and put us in our place and exalt Christ and put him in his place. And that leads to um, the last one. This is the last one that I'll cover. Sound doctrine is that which helps us see clearly, think soberly, and live obediently. Sound doctrine is that which helps us see clearly, think soberly, and live obediently. So sound doctrine helps us see ourselves for who we are and helps us see God and Jesus for who he is. So again, Ephesians 2 says, you know, by grace you are saved, by grace through faith, and and um, and that is the gift of God. It's not your own doing, lest anyone should boast. So we're saved by grace through faith, and this is not our own doing. So sound doctrine helps us understand. Again, I'll repeat myself, and it's worth this one's worth repeating. Sound doctrine helps us understand we are nothing more than the recipients of grace, 
the unworthy recipients of grace. And it helps us understand that God is the one and only sovereign of all creation. And that within the, the, within the Godhead, the Father has chosen us as his own. And he purchased us, he accomplished our redemption through offering up the Son. And the Son willingly laid down his life for the sheep, for those that were given to him by the Father. And so our salvation is sure. Our redemption has been purchased. And it is the Spirit of God that regenerates us and raises us up to new life and seals us, giving us security, giving us confidence until we acquire our inheritance, which we will receive in glory forever. So we see ourselves for who we are and God for who he is. So that's what helps us see clearly. We don't lose focus of that. We don't start to think too highly of ourselves. It helps us to think soberly. We think with a renewed mind. Uh, we are to set, our, to set our hearts and minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. So not only did Christ die for us, he's seated at the right hand of God now making intercession for us that our faith may not fail. He is upholding us. Christ is our life, the life that we now live. It's not us, but Christ living within us. So we think with a renewed mind. We, we start to think as those who have been redeemed. We start to think as those who have, who have been regenerated by the Spirit. We start to think as those who we once were dead in our sins. We once followed the paths of this world, but now we have a renewed mind and we seek to please and honor our Savior and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ with our decisions, with our actions, with our thoughts. And we start to treat people differently. We start to organize our life differently. We start to walk differently, our manner of living. So we see clearly, we think soberly. We live a life of gratitude. We live a life of thankfulness and we live obediently. If the sovereign God of all creation, free to do as he pleases, saw fit to save our wretched souls, then we understand with our renewed mind, we understand that he alone is worthy of our full obedience. Yes, we fall short in that. Yes, we stumble, but we seek to live obediently out of gratitude, out of a, a, a sense of gratefulness and out of a sense of, of understanding and wisdom that he is our life. We don't live obediently trying to earn or keep our justification. We live obediently because we have been justified and we understand that, we comprehend that. We, we know of the grace of God that has saved us and we know that the only logical thing for us to do is to obediently follow and live all of life for his glory. So we need sound doctrine. We must have sound doctrine. I know these podcasts are a little bit on the longer side, but, but that's okay. Um, even if you only listen to part of it and it just so happens to be this latter part of it, or uh, if you jump through bits and pieces of it and you've made it to the end, I thank you. If you've listened to the whole thing, you're a trooper. I pray that's been an encouragement to you, but we need sound doctrine and proper ministries. That's our aim. We want people to have sound doctrine. We want the truth of God and his word to be proclaimed. Uh, we want saints to be edified. We want saints to be sanctified. We want souls to be saved. And we want, go, uh, we want God to be glorified through all things. And so thank you for listening. 
uh, share this podcast. Uh, let us hear from you. Again, my number is 912-339-4211. You can call or text anytime. Uh, let us know if you've got any ideas of how we can engage the community, um, how we can serve the community. Um, if, if, if there's a way that we can help you or your church or any way that we can be praying for you, please reach out. We, we just want to, we want to serve God. We want to serve others. Um, and, uh, if, if you don't have a church and you want to come worship with us at, at Mindy's Baptist church, you're welcome to do that. We our services start at 11 AM each Sunday and, uh, 7 PM each Wednesday night. We'd love to have you. Uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, This has been Christianity Proper, What We Need Most, Sound Doctrine Part 2. We look forward to catching up with you guys again on our next installment. And um, yeah, Soli Deo Gloria. Catch you next time.